Welcome to the Real Love Podcast Series, right here on the Sharon Salzberg Meta Hour. This series features a variety of conversations with the world's finest thinkers and teachers, exploring Sharon's latest book, Real Love, The Art of Mindful Connection. Hi, I'm Sharon Salzberg, and I'm here today with my friend Catherine Burns. Catherine is a longtime artistic director of The Moth. She's been a lead director on The Moth's main stage for more than a decade. She's helped hundreds of people craft their stories, including a Nobel laureate, a retired New York City cop, a Jaguar tracker, and an exonerated prisoner. She's a producer of the Peabody Award-winning The Moth Radio Hour and the editor of the international bestseller The Moth, 50 True Stories, and the bestseller All These Wonders. Catherine and I are both so busy that we usually just meet for breakfast. This is really exciting. <laughs> I'm seeing her in a whole other kind of light. You know, it's like the light of the day toward oh, the end of the day, totally. toward sunset. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> you exist beyond 9 a.m. at the LBQ. <laughs> I know. It's yes. like on 11th Street and Broadway. <laughs> right. Hi. <laughs> and anybody who really knows me knows that I'm like a total night owl and that that's like a big deal. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's the only time I see Catherine. <laughs> So I'm very excited to have the chance to have the conversation with you. Um, and I thought maybe we could start by you uh, talking about what The Moth is and how did you come to be part of the organization? Totally. So The Moth is all about true stories told live. Um, it started out as a live show in New York City. Um, we would do these shows. I could give you the history of The Moth if you want. Like, do you want to, Should I talk about how it started? Yeah. So The Moth was founded by a gentleman named George Doss Green. He was a writer, and he had grown up in Savannah, Georgia, and he and his friends um, would sit around on, the, on a porch on this little island off the coast of Georgia, and they would tell stories sort of deep into the night and play poker, and there was, there was a hole in the screen, and the moths would flutter about, and so they started calling themselves The Moths. They were like, The Moths will meet tonight. So he moves to New York City, he becomes a writer, and he missed those evenings of just friends sitting around telling these long, complicated, you know, deeply personal stories to each other. And he decided to try to bring the spirit of that to New York City. So he had an evening at his apartment. He invited a bunch of friends, and five people were selected to tell, to hold the floor. No one could interrupt them. They each had, you know, their 10, 15 minutes to tell a story. And that's how it began. Um, and so that was 20 years ago last June. Um, and, um, yeah, so what we do now is we produce these live shows at this point all around the world. We're in like 28 cities, um, where people come and tell stories in front of a live audience. Some of the shows we curate, like we invite people to come tell their stories. You know, we've been trying to get you for quite a long time. One of these days it's going to happen. It'll work. Um, yeah. Um, but some of the stories, some of the shows are open mic night competitions, which are really fun. And then we record all of these shows and the best stories go out on our radio show and podcast. Or sometimes appear in like the books and mm -hmm. you have various other other outlets. <laughs> and I, I know you, you do uh, one program in a cemetery. How did that yeah. happen? Yeah. So Greenwood Cemetery, which is just, if you've never been there, it's such a gorgeous, gorgeous park. And they, I think that their tagline is, is, it's a place that the dead create for the living. It's this beautiful old cemetery and they do live events there. Live events. That sounds sort of funny thinking about the you know, cemetery. But anyway, um, but it's amazing. Yes, yeah, so you arrive and they take you up via trolley and you know, torchlight. And we did a storytelling show in the middle of the graveyard with people with picnic blankets, like sitting on the graves. And we did a stage and 
did all stories ahead, you know, sort of a little bit of a head nod to death. <laughs> but it was one of my favorite moth nights of all time. And yeah, we're doing it again this summer. And you just knew the date because maybe that'll be the one. <laughs> but it's pretty magical being there. You know, and there's something crazy about being in a cemetery in the middle of the night and doing something that is a joyful celebration. Mm-hmm. Are there unusual venues or is that kind of the, the edge? I think that was that's one of the more extreme ones that we've done. Although we've been talking, do you know Atlas Obscura? No. They're this amazing group in New York City and they do kind of crazy events all, all over the city in interesting places. And we've talked about trying to get in touch with them to see if we could, you know, like do the moth in an abandoned subway station or like just, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> it would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, it'd be an adventure. So maybe they'll hear this and we'll get in touch with them. Well, in a way, it's in a, in a funny way, it's almost like a reflection of real life because we're always telling ourselves stories anyway. Yeah. You know, so if you're riding the subway or you're in a cemetery or you're, you know, visiting a friend or, you know, there's something going on. Like, totally. Yeah. I mean, that was the idea. One of the, you know, storytelling is obviously the world's, one of the most ancient art forms. We certainly didn't invent it. But I think what was a little bit different about the moth when George and his friends launched it is this idea of taking like a dinner party story. Um, the stories aren't meant to feel like a big performance. It's just meant to seem like a story that you're telling over the kitchen table, except there's 300 people there at dinner instead of two. And so, you know, but taking these stories that are very intimate and putting them on stage in front of a live audience and then recognizing that as an art form. I think that's what was maybe new about the moth. And now, of course, one of the things that thrills us is there's thousands and thousands of moth-like organizations have popped up all around the world. And so it really has become what we think of as a modern storytelling movement that we're just one little piece of. It's fabulous. I mean, I know um, a little bit about political organizing, which often does start with telling your story. Yeah. We've worked with a lot of activists instead of t- tell their stories. or like people who are the heads of NGOs. We do a lot of work with the Gates Foundation. We're actually doing our first show in Nairobi on Thursday night. Um, I'm obviously not going to be there. <laughs> I was going to say, are you um, going? Yes. No, I'm not going. Um, but yeah, because often you know, people who are, they create an NGO because there's a problem they see in the world that's personal that they want to help solve. So we'll sometimes come in and try to help them work their personal story into the message of what they're trying to do. Because people tend to – sometimes like these big problems in the world can be very abstract. But if, if you boil it down into a story, it can be easier for people to absorb. Mm-hmm. Well, I, as you know, I'm like so eager to be trained by you. <laughs> That's so, so kind. I don't you know if you... <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how much I can do. You're such a natural raconteur. Thank you. I will do my best to teach you something. You, you will definitely teach earn, me a lot. I'll, I'll try to like sort of like earn like <laughs> in our friendship. I'll try to give something back to you because <laughs> you've given me so much. Well, thank you. But I, you know, you definitely could train me. And <laughs> I, I'm so curious. Like, what do you listen for? I mean, and writing, you know, because of, yeah. obviously I write, you know, and so. Uh, what I've learned to listen for is sort of what's extra, you know, mm. like especially because I feel like I write about things that are um, noble and amazing, you know, and love and faith <laughs> and things like that. And so my uh, bad tendency is to get really elevated, you mm-hmm. know, and to lose the sort of direct simplicity of of communication, you know, of connection. And, totally. And and so I, I see these sentences sometimes I think, oh, my God, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's pretty highfalutin. Like, let's bring it down, you know. Totally, because the big ideas are sometimes absorbed better when you, you know, like in your book Faith, where there's just gigantic ideas about Buddhism, about the world, about meditation, but in each one is grounded in your personal journey. Mm-hmm. So it's one of my, my favorites of your books. 
Thank you. So yeah. is that what the kind of thing you listen for is something that sounds inauthentic or too much or Yeah, I mean, we definitely don't want the we definitely want things that do sound authentic and um like we work with activists, we don't want them to just kind of do their spiel and they have to tell it through story. Like if they try to do something where you can hear the message, if something gets preachy, the the quickest way to shut down a moth audience is by trying to is trying to preach or to try to talk at them, like to give a performance. This is the one thing you can do. This is one of the few ways you can bomb at the moth is to be like just super over rehearsed. Because um, what people want, people would rather you mess up. But people are always afraid that they're going to forget their story because we don't allow people to have notes. You know, we're terribly mean that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we always tell people if you forget something and say, "Oh my god, I totally forgot to tell you the part," and then go back and pick it up, they're only going to love you more because they all our audience wants is for you to be human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is they're, they're coming out seeking that human connection. But yeah, one of the things we look for in moth stories, especially because like the difference between like we, people, like we often get compared to TED, which is more of a talk, more of a, a verbal essay. So we always look for moments of change. Mm-hmm. So we look like, we look for stories where something happened and as a result of this interesting thing happening to you, you go from, you're, you have one point of view in the beginning and there's some shift in you as a result of the events that happen. And it can be subtle. I mean, we don't want things to be too wrapped up in a bow or like, you know, after school special. <laughs> um, but we always look for some just shift in perspective. We think that makes things much more interesting. Because usually also if it was something that caused you to change, it was probably a big moment in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, we sometimes say, this sounds a little bit harsh, but we say, who are you at the beginning and who are you at the end and why do we care? But of course, what we really mean is, why do you care? Because if you can convince me why you care so much, then I'm going to care too. Mm-hmm. Do you think really in the end we're all like kind of one person? <laughs> I do. I, 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 after years and thousands and thousands of stories I've heard and worked on, I 100% believe that we have what can, you know, what we have in common is so much more abundant than mm-hmm. what that, that separates us. I just, I truly believe that even looking around at the crazy state of the world we're in right now. Um, you know, pe- I also think that people want to connect. People want to find that commonality. You know, even people who might have really different views on bigger things, you can sit down and show each other pictures of your kids or, you know, talk about, you know, something that happened in your childhood. You know, there's always a way to connect. I think human beings naturally want to connect with each other. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that sounds a little Pollyanna, but I truly no, that's believe beautiful. it. It's <laughs> um, beautiful. Have you always believed it? Or has the work kind of influenced you? I always believed it, but I think I wondered if I was just delusional. And now, after I've been at the Moth, it's going to be 16 years in no. a few weeks. Um, and before that, I was a fan, you know, coming to every show and, you know, I was sort of obsessed with it before I came to, to join the staff of two at the time. Um, and um, I feel like the moth proved to me, proved to me that what I wanted to believe about the world was true. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's kept me in it for so long. You know, I never get bored. I'm always like the second I'm not I don't feel like hearing a story. Let someone else get my job because I don't deserve to do it anymore. That's so interesting. So you you were listening. I mean, you just heard about it and you started attending, and then yeah, I was um super. I was working in uh, film and television. I'd always wanted to be a filmmaker since I was a really little girl, mm-hmm. and then I actually got in the film industry and discovered it just wasn't what I wanted. It turns out that I don't really like being on sets that much, nor do I like being in editing suites, and that that's the entire that's what being a filmmaker is. And so I think if you had you know asked me when I was a little girl if I if I'd understood what I really wanted, I would have said I want a meaningful job. There's something to do with something artistic 
where I can work in a meaningful way with people I love and have that work connect outward and help people in the world. Now, of course, I didn't couldn't say that at six or seven. Right. Um, but to me at the time, I was like, oh, make a movie. That's the thing that will do that. And so, yeah, so it was like I was in my late... I was in my late 20s and um, had just moved to New York City and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I sort of refer to this now as my, is, is, there, is this all there is phase? <laughs> and um, someone told me about the moth. And I went the first night, and it was like this weird moth on a boat <laughs> that was parked in the harbor. And um, I was just so blown away because it was the opposite of everything I'd been doing in film, where it's like, you know, 30 people to tell a story, even on a little indie film. And so the fact that you would have a single person telling their own story, simple lighting, just one microphone, no notes with the audience. And I fell madly in love with it. And I just started coming to every single show and trying to help them out in any way I could because they were so small that it was just two employees. And the, um, it, they were really popular. You know, they were hard to get in. But um, it wasn't like there wasn't a radio show or a podcast or anything like that then. And then um, eventually I'd actually just taken this job that I didn't really want. <laughs> um, and um, I was supposed to start that job on September 12th, 2001. So the job went away for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and um, in the meantime, over the course of the next two or three months, I know this is a level of detail, but I um, actually went and helped out at the Red Cross and they offered me a job. And I was like, well, gosh, maybe I'm going to just totally do this other thing. Um, but then right around that time, the moth's first artistic director quit mm -hmm. and there was an opening. So then there was a staff of one. <laughs> <laughs> then there was a staff of one. Right. And, um, yeah. And so I, I forwarded her quitting email to the remaining employee and said, whose job is open and how do I apply? And it's hard so, to, I mean, just as a side note, it's hard to believe that was 16, more than 16 years ago. Isn't that know? insane? Yeah. It's really kind of amazing. I think I thought I was just coming on for a few months to help them out, or like for a little short period. They had just signed this TV deal, The Moth, and I was like, oh, no, TV's going to mess up with my favorite happy thing. And then I was like, I speak TV. Maybe I'll go help them for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, f a few months turned into a decade and a half, which is so crazy. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but I'm still having so much fun. I'm also, you know, uh, in teaching meditation, I'm also very interested in kind of the um, damaging stories, you know, the ones yeah. that we carry around just habitually. And uh, when, in my last book, Real Love, I, um, I ended up having two sections about stories. And, and I had an editor that, uh, looking toward that, thought it was way too much, you know, and that, but when I actually produced it, it, it was actually okay because there's so much. You know, one section was on stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Mm. So that might be... Um, wonderful you know maybe onward leading maybe encouraging more often it seems like it's you know pretty critical kind of harsh maybe unjust yeah toward ourselves expecting too much um and then there's a whole section on stories others tell about us mm. and what we what we believe and absorb mm -hmm. or don't absorb and don't believe <laughs> right you know and the ones that we do absorb sometimes are not that healthy either exactly you know, it's so true. I mean, I mean, we both know, right, that the past is just is a thing that changes constantly depending on the stories we tell about it and the stories we tell ourselves about it. Um, I've seen this so many times where somebody will go in to tell a story and in, in examining the events of the past with another person, they suddenly see the past in a really different light. Like one of the things we do, um, we have a community program and so we'll do things in you know, homeless shelters and we'll work with you know, various vulnerable populations and you'll sometimes see people when they start to put their the story of their life together and like you know the 
beginning, middle, and end, that they'll, they'll see that they had more agency than they realized. And that can be very empowering. You know, so not to say like you're to blame for the things that happened to you, but more that just like that you have more agency than you realize at most points. And that can be a really empowering feeling. Um, and they suddenly will look back and see the events of their past in a really different way. And that's always really thrilling to see. There's also, you know, there's also timelines on stories. Like, so um, we, we recommend that a certain amount of time have passed since the story took place before you tell it because we find that people need time to process it. We're not like the nightly news where we can go out and something that happened last week, we're going to go get that person and bring them up. Usually we joke that it's like five years from a divorce and 10 years from a death, although a psychiatrist recently told me it should be the reverse. Oh, that divorce wait, is much wait, more say, traumatizing. Say five years from... from a divorce and 10 years from a death. Or the opposite. But someone really recently said it should really be the opposite. Um, but, you know, and so there's, you know, you always have like the, the Tig Notaros. I don't know if she's somebody in, this, in the world of these of listeners here that know, but she's a comedian who infamously walked out on stage in L.A., having been diagnosed that morning with breast cancer and get, did one of the most amazing comedy sets of all time about it. But most people are not tick. Um, most people really need time to process it. Um, we all have all of our moth directors. We have like the ones that got away. And one of my people was a woman who had been a part on the kinder transport. She had been smuggled out of Germany um, as a child. And um, I went to meet with her. I tracked her down in the suburbs of London because she had this gorgeous story about a little boy on the train who she met and helped. And um, when she started telling me that story, she would speak about herself, like in the third person. Um, you know, Esther said, said this. Esther, Esther sat down and you know, I was like, wow, you know, 70 years. And Esther wasn't ready to tell that story. You know, so for some people, they might be ready in five minutes. But a, a little bit of time going by, I think, definitely helps people process things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was some advice I got, actually, when I was working on the book Faith, which yeah. is really like my faith story and involves, uh, you know, the story of my childhood and, you know, lots of loss and, and trauma and things like that. And uh, I was stuck many times working on that book. And um, at one point I was talking to somebody who uh, teaches writing and, and you know, we're kind of looking at what I was doing. And, and she said, yeah, you know, she said, you're ready. You know, she said, if, if it was too soon, it would be terrible writing, you know, because... Mm -hmm. It, it would just be, it wouldn't be a bad thing to do for you necessarily. Yeah. You know, uh, in terms of healing or, or, you know, just telling the story, telling the story, telling the story as one might. But, um, you know, she said, uh, in terms of the quality of the writing, it's going to be you processing rather than you presenting, you know, and, and sort of, you know, otherwise you'd be kind of secretly asking for help. Yeah, exactly. You know? The biggest, one of the hardest things that any of us deal with as directors of the moth is, um, and by directors, I mean, we just like coach people and help them with, tell their stories, just for listeners who might not know, um, is trying to, is assessing whether or not somebody's ready to tell their story. Um, and and it can be very tricky. Like, you know, someone can come to us and you can tell they're not ready, you know, because not, it's not always so extreme as you know, the Esther story. It's like there's a churn when people are still processing it. And one of the things I always say is if you can't figure out your ending, you're probably not ready to tell it. Like that tends to indicate that like you haven't found a place to land it yet. Um, but sometimes we like really get, get on the train with somebody and you know, they might not be quite ready to tell it. We check in with them again in six months, in a year. And it might be five years later they finally tell it. And so one of the nice things about us not just being a staff of two is that we can have these long-time relationships mm -hmm. with people and mm -hmm. kind of go on the journey with them. And when they're finally ready to do it, there's a space for them. Yeah, that's great. 
And I never think, you know, when I got that advice, it was, it was correct. I was ready, you know. I didn't, oh, definitely, from having read the book. but I was ready, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it was also, it couldn't have happened sooner. I mean, it just would have been a different thing. It, you know, it might yeah. well have been part of my own healing journey, but it wouldn't have been really an offering. Totally. Know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's see. So, so still on this topic of stories others tell about us. Oh, yeah. You know, like how do we get that filter into – and it's really a question of space, right, or some spaciousness to realize that, well, that's that person's conditioning or that's that person's impression or, uh, you know, I grew up in New York City in Washington Heights in the Eastern European Jewish neighborhood, and uh, every once in a while I meet somebody – uh, you know, from Texas, who says, I never met a Jew till I was in college. Mm. I'd say, really? You know, <laughs> yeah. like, what do you think they were like? You know, and it was always weird. Um, you know, and, and we live surrounded by these kinds of um, projections. Yes. All the time. And so there's something about having a sense of almost like knowing who you are apart from the story. Yes. That I seems very important. And that, of course, I feel... For me, it came to me through meditation. Mm. That makes sense. I definitely think, I mean, because there's also positive stories people tell about us that we don't believe, right? Because we're so busy beating ourselves up. Yeah, that's true. That's what I was thinking about before when you first said it. So there's both like people telling negative stories about us that we absorb and then us not being willing to see the beautiful story that others get see in us. Um, and yeah, I think that these things are very tricky and like how do you you know, take yourself away from the, you know, not get too caught up in the story. One of the exercises we have people do, um, it might be an interesting one for you to do when you eventually do the moth, because I feel like some of the stories you've just told so many times, is that we have somebody um, take, write down 20 things that took place around the time of the story that aren't in the story. And it's not because we want them to add them back into the final story. It's because it viscerally takes you back into the space again. And then suddenly you tell the exact same story again, and it's fresh, and you're present in the story. Um, but there's something about it, too, because there's something about trying to examine the things around it that just give you a different perspective. It's so interesting. Yeah. It's like we find that it works, especially if somebody's been down the road with us. We occasionally get people where, you know, they'll go out and they'll tell the same story 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes. <laughs> and you know, you know, there's been a lot of scientific studies that the way we tell the story like affects our memory of the story and that the memory like that you remember telling the story as opposed to the memory. Does that make sense? No, totally. Yeah, totally. It's so this like little. And so the more you tell it that way, the more that becomes what happened. Yeah. And you get like over time, you can get very divorced from the actual event. Um, yeah. But I do. I mean, just in my own life, you know, I always am trying to write my own stories and things. I, I think about these things all the time because you're forcing yourself to to put it down on the page and trying to look at what was that shift and what really happened there. Um, there's just often so many new things to be discovered if you're willing to reflect and you're willing to do that soul searching and digging. Even if it's not something, if you're not somebody like who's going to go write a book mm -hmm. like you are, you know, it's just yeah. somebody who's like trying to process their own, the events of their past so they can feel like a better person or sleep better at night or be a better parent. Did you ever have anybody or did you ever have any two or three people tell the same story each from their own anger? <laughs> no, people always want us to do this and yeah. we've never actually taken it on. Um, I'm not sure. I, we, I think we want to take it on. Like every year we say we should, 
And we've talked about doing one, like sort of, we call this like the Rashomon night, you know, where um, yeah. you would have like maybe a parent and a child. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be really cool. But um, it, I think that we're always just like, oh my God, that would be so much work. And somebody just needs to decide <laughs> to do it <laughs> and go out and then find the right people to do yeah, it. Because yeah. um, it could be that they tell the same story. It also could be that they just tell a story that involves the same people. And so you kind of get to know a whole new Set of you, you get to hear a different story about these same people in the second act. Mm-hmm. But I think that can be interesting because we all tell these tell these stories so differently, right? And it's interesting. Um, I've been trying to you know write work on a memoir, and one of the things I've been trying to do is go to my closest friends and say, "Tell me the story of the time we did X," and I record it because I want to hear them tell it because you know I've just to hear a totally fresh person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it like sort of fact checking myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also listening to them talk about it gets me to remember, remember it in a new way. So. Outrageous. Did you find things changed for you when you began meditating? I don't know when you actually began. So I began because of you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. Can I, t- I tell the story about how I came to your first class? Sure. Tell the story. It's so funny. <laughs> I never thought when I, that night that I would be sitting here telling you the story here on this podcast, which is, of course, my favorite podcast. So, um, yeah, so I'd been trying to meditate for years with no success. I actually bought at one point, I don't even know if I've told you this, I bought your little book that had like a CD insert, and then it sat next to the chair in my bedroom for like literally seven years. <laughs> and so I just tried and tried, and I would just sit, and you know, all the excuses and the things that people say, and they can't figure it out. And um, finally, I was on the phone with my friend Robin Thorpe. Well, shout out to Robin. And um, she, I was just like, I've just, I've decided I'm giving it up. I can't. It's too stressful. I can't. And she's like, Listen, I think you, you live in New York City. Sharon Salzberg does all does th- events all the time. If you go to one class with her and it doesn't work, I will leave you alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yay, Robin. <laughs> Yay, Robin. And I was like, Okay, okay, fine. Because she goes, I just think you're going to connect with her. I think she's, you know, you're going to be your sort of person. Just go to one class. So I went, and you were doing a thing at um, the Tibet house, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I was coming up again. And um, I went, and I sat all the way in the back. I arrived very early um, and sat all the way in the back, and I sat in the seat chosen so that if I was bored and leave. uncomfortable, I could leave yeah, yeah. <laughs> without really being seen. By you, know, There's the pillars in there. You can kind of hide behind. So I picked the seat, and then slowly it was like, you know, then, of course, five minutes later, it was like a 1,000 people and, like, totally packed, and you came in. Um, and I remember you walked in, and you were wearing this, like, we were all bundled up in this winter coat, <laughs> and you just looked like a you just looked comfortable. You know, like I think I'd gone to these things where it was like these little little yogi people, lovely people. I'm sure <laughs> I don't mean to knock other people, but I was just like you know, just like, and I was like, you just came in and you just felt like authentic and wise, but accessible. <laughs> so I immediately was like, I perked up the second I saw you come in, and you put down your coat and you sat down, and um, I um, and so we started and. Like five minutes later, the hour and a half class was over. Yeah. And I remember what I was most struck by was that when you did the group meditations, I was disappointed because they seemed too short. Whereas before I could not even sit through two minutes. I don't even yeah. know how long those were, right. but at least 10, right, yeah, when yeah. you do them. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, we're, we're, you're ready. And um, so something really shifted for me um, in that. And like we could talk about it in detail or not, you know, but when I had like a mental image of like a, almost like a, the reverse of the trash compactor in the Star Wars movies, like there was mm-hmm. something going in the reverse and pushing all the garbage out of my head backwards. 
Um, and, it, and I felt so good and so clean when I walked out that night. And I came to all the rest of the classes. I think Robin was there on the last night and forced me to come talk to you. Yeah. Um, and she's like, you go talk to her. And I was like, I'm too starstruck. And she's like, don't be an idiot. <laughs> um, but ever since then, yeah. I've, I've meditated every night. So That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes I've, I think we were talking at breakfast like, earlier this week. How Sometimes it's just 10 minutes. Um, but often when I get going, then you, you can pick another one and it could be a half hour. I'm going to try to add the morning. I think I need to do like mm-hmm. an energizing morning one, but it's really made a difference. And, you know, when I slack off, I feel like I can tell, my husband can tell, my son of a seven-year-old can tell, my staff, suddenly every little thing just feels so hard to manage. And that's the one thing that if I go and just add to the time, all of a sudden everything feels really manageable and, um, you know, running them off, it's a little, we, we're talking about caretaking. You know, I know you do your course for caretakers and there can be something to it. You know, it's like caretaking because the moth isn't just a show. It really is a community. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, that self-care, if you're going to actually, you know, ha- have the great honor of helping manage and run that community, it's so important. And so it's been a real game changer for me. That's fabulous. That was long. <laughs> that was great. I'm but so yeah. happy. I'm happy to be listening to you. <laughs> It's like afternoon. It's my this is like yeah, my yeah. shining hour. Oh, right. You know? <laughs> this is when I'm really like totally slumping off. But I was, I was like, I'll out. do it for Sharon. I'll do it for Sharon. Uh, <laughs> if you add ten minutes in the morning, I was thinking, could we meet at nine fifteen instead? We definitely of nine? Can, we can. <laughs> we can. Should, should we just decide now that we'll meet at nine fifteen from now on? Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> we can even do nine thirty. Really? Yeah. Well, I don't want to make you late for work. It's okay. We'll, 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 work you know, it, we'll work it out. I'm the one who doesn't have regular <laughs> hours. You know. Like, yeah, but, um, but yeah, no, but it was really, it was a game, it, it, it really was a game changer for me. And and the, you, you like opened the door that then once I walked through it, then I was able to find, you know, you know other people and other things and I started reading mm-hmm. all of your books. And it just, it, something clicked in my brain that night that never has unclicked. So thank you again, yeah, a thousand well, times. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> coming. I mean, obviously it changed my whole life too. And it's yeah. been, been the core of my life ever since. It's ever kind of changed that you know like I didn't I don't ever look back and think well too bad I didn't go to graduate school or you know totally. like, I mean I'd like to learn a lot of things that I probably would have learned in graduate school but there may still be time <laughs> you yeah know? you know, totally I and I regret of course not discovering it much younger mm-hmm. I mean because what that was only like a couple of years ago but um yeah but that being said I guess it comes to you when yeah. it's going to come to yeah. you <laughs> totally um and I guess maybe the last thing I'll bring up is is just the creative process. And, you know, for me, it is um, centered in a lot of ways in meditation, just the kind of space that the meditative techniques create, you know. And uh, when I think of myself as a writer and I think about the strengths and weaknesses that I have and uh, I realize that it's like this is actually a big reflection on faith on that book. Like I would say that the best writing I did on faith was two times. One was on... I just woke up in the morning and the sensor had not yet woken up. Mm. And the other was when I was meditating. And I wasn't meditating thinking, how am I going to connect chapter one to two? Right. Uh, I would just sit. Yep. And somehow within that, the the intuition totally. would arise. Totally. It was like, right, it's how things, people always talk about things coming to them in the shower. Yeah. 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 There's just something, I think it's so critical that dormancy is critical to the artistic process. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's some, you know, Gretchen Rubin, who's a writer, writes a lot about happiness. She has this thing about keeping an empty shelf in your house. 
Because it's like it just like allows there to be space for mm-hmm. things to come in, which I think is so interesting. That would be hard, actually. Okay. Think of it. <laughs> there is zero empty shelves in my house right now. I'm, as you know, I'm about to move, so maybe that could be a goal. Um, but yeah, but um, but I think there one of the things I've had to learn to do, which sounds might sound insane, but is to schedule unscheduled time. Because if I don't do it, I will schedule every second of my day, and that there's an hour that. The only deal is like I can actually do something productive at that hour, but I can't decide in advance what's happening and that I really am free to do anything. Because I find when I'm doing things like that, just like, you know, joyful things come to me. I have ideas. I think of solutions to problems we're having. I also think of new ideas and things that we can do. Um, and, and, I, and those ideas don't come when things are just so packed and so cluttered. That's fantastic. <laughs> okay, so 15 minutes of practice in the morning. Okay. Is that my assignment? Okay, good. It's a little too selfish. I feel bad. No, no, no. I love it. I love it. I love it. Sleep later and still meet you for breakfast. (laughs) And then uh, that might that might go against the code of (laughs) ethics or something. Uh, And then unscheduled time. What a great idea. Yeah, I, 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 um, I had this amazing vacation like three years ago where I, I took a week off and didn't plan anything. Like usually when I take a week off, even for a staycation, I'm like, I'm going to clear out the file. There was like, there was like an agenda, um, but I didn't. And it was like such an amazing week and I got so much stuff done, but nothing that I planned to get done. And um, I just like, I discovered, you know, ended up going through all these old files and discovering all these fun letters and things from friends. And it was just, I, there was just a lot of information that I touched that week that was in my house that I would have never touched anyway. It, it, that I needed right then that would have never come to me if I hadn't created that space. And that, and I felt very inspired by that. Mm-hmm. I don't always keep it up, but I try to. And the more I do, I think the better off I am, certainly. And I think the better off the moth is, ultimately. We try with our creative team to have time, have down times. I mean, you know this because we've been trying to schedule you to tell a story for so long. I'm like, well, there's not really anything between like July and October. And then we also try to, the end of December and through January because I just find that my team needs to – there has to be just some times of the year when they're not trying to mm-hmm. – cast a show and find story like they need that time to just be themselves um so they can come back and then feel excited to do it again Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no that's great um and then uh the last question (laughs) or comment um since my last uh book i I shouldn't say my last book my most recent yes (laughs) because we're hoping it's not my last book please don't let it be (laughs) my most recent book was about love real love um I like to ask people on this podcast, what comes to your mind when you hear the word love? Like, what do you think about the the concept, the thing? Well, you know, I spend a lot of my time thinking about um, the word empathy. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a little overused right now. I mean, you and I have joked before about which you, which phrase is more overused right now, mindfulness or storytelling. Yeah. And yeah. I think you argue that it should be mindfulness and you're, I agree with that. Like yeah. I let you in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so empathy is a word that I just am hearing a lot right now, but I do, but it's something that we come back to again and again. Cause uh, when I think about, you know, what is love, but you know, trying to see the, you know, it's seeing the best in someone. Mm-hmm, it's looking mm-hmm. at someone with, you know, compassion is, I know, a word I've mm-hmm. got, I've learned from you a lot. Um, and like, look, trying to see the world from their point of view, because when you can do that, you can connect it like in, in with the why that somebody just did something, you know, why would someone think that, think that, do that, say that. Um, and so, and I think that, imp- that empathy is what you know leads us to love, and of course, you know, especially love is the way you define it in your book, not just you know romantic love, mm-hmm. or even the way like I love my son, but like 
a general, you know, you know, loving kindness towards mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the universe. That if you can find that empathy is a way to connect you into that. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the number one thing that I would think, you know, and and also authenticity. I mean, we go around right with such these little you know, fake shells so often. You know, shells maybe other shellac. I think you mm-hmm, know, shellac mm-hmm. with the, you know through the world, especially with Facebook and social media and mm-hmm. how we present ourselves to the world and. Um, I just I don't think there's it's any coincidence in the age of like the internet and texting and all these like sort of distant ways to connect that this storytelling movement has come up that even as we're all, all on our devices that people are like wait but I also want to go outside and I want to go down to this you know bar restaurant near my house and I'm going to sit in the dark room and I'm going to listen to my neighbors tell stories. Wow. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It was so much fun to be here with you in the afternoon. I know. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really... Thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm a huge fan. I'm oh, like... well, I'm a huge fan, too. <laughs> so. yeah. And we'll oh. make it work. We'll find a date someday. Hooray. You're coming, <laughs> we'll to, coming soon. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. I had one thought. of the, Oh, God, I hope they don't start like the morning hour or the breakfast stories or something no that would be the one date i can do and <laughs> no. I go, oh, it's morning no we actually we almost never do shows during the day we find it doesn't really work that well oh, interesting every now and then we, but really we did one like just so boring afternoon show once at like i think the, <laughs> the brooklyn botanical garden and we were like hashtag never again like, it just wasn't i don't know there's something mothy like you want to sit in the dark yes. and the light yes. and connect like it's yeah it's one of those we, it's, it's like it, the it's, theater. It's a nighttime yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and if you'd like to check out some of Catherine's work, you can visit www.themoth. <laughs> you can visit www.themoth.org and listen to their podcast and much more. Yay. <laughs> thank you for listening. For more information about Sharon's many offerings and her ongoing teaching schedule, please visit her website at SharonSalzberg.com.